a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Are you recording? Greetings! New song, new concept. Hmm, let's give it a crack and see how it all goes. Welcome along, one and all, to the Howie Games Arta Series. Okay, so what's this all about? The Artist Series will feature your creative folk. Think singers, writers, actors, podcasters, directors, comedians, TV stars, movie stars, rock stars and more. The people whose creative work lights up your day. It will talk about sport and the guests' involvement, then move into their world and explore what really goes on behind the scenes, what it takes to make it and what happens when the wheels fall off. It is full, and I mean full, of tall tales. The first Artist Series will feature 10 episodes and after today will drop weekly every Tuesday. So after today, weekly every Tuesday. But don't worry, your normal version of the Howie Games with Sporting Legends will continue on, as always, on a Thursday, so that doesn't change. All right. Episode one of the Howie Games Artist Series Part A, and I'm extremely excited about this. Features a man whose music and lyrics are pretty much the soundtrack to many parts of Australian life, Mr. Paul Kelly. How good. Now, if you haven't heard Paul Kelly play live, well... You simply need to. So when the world gets back to normal, book in and go and see the great man in action. The first time I was fortunate enough to was at a hot and sweaty corner hotel in Richmond. They were packed in 15 deep at the bar and Paul, as he does, took the whole audience on a wild, rollicking ride through his catalogue of hits. Paul loves sport almost as much as he does music, making him a perfect guest to launch this entire operation. Now, through the work and generosity of Paul... Daryl Bailey at EMI and Bill Cullen from One Louder. We are fortunate enough, and I actually can't really believe this, we are privileged to be able to bring you Paul's brand new song for the very first time. It's the first time you can hear it. It's written about one of the AFL's most loved players, Eddie Betts, and his fight against racism. Our fight against racism. It's titled Every Step of the Way. That song and plenty more coming your way right now. Enjoy the beautiful place where sport meets music, tied together by the words of the one and only Paul Kelly AO. Enjoy. Well, this is a great treat for me and hopefully the audience. Welcome to the Howie Games, the artist series for the very, very first edition. One of Australia's most renowned artists, singers, songwriters, poets. I don't know. He'll have to tell us what he calls himself, but his name is Paul Kelly and he's a sports fan too, which means he's the whole package rolled into one. (laughs) Paul, it's wonderful to see you. How are you going? Oh, good. Thanks, Howie. How are you? Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped you're on. Um, what what do you call yourself? If I met you in a, in a bar and you weren't performing, I said, oh, what do you do, mate? What are you going to say? I'd say songwriter. Songwriter or singer-songwriter, yeah. As a singer-songwriter, through through Daryl, we've been trying to organise this for a while and you were touring and then your, your tours got cancelled and, and shortened in New South Wales. How are you dealing with with the whole COVID situation that all our industries are facing, and obviously the live music industry has been cut down at its knees, which is another great loss in what's been a really difficult time for a lot of people, mate. Yeah, it has been tough. I, I live in Melbourne, so, I mean, last year we, we had a long lockdown, but there was a more of a sense of, you know, I remember people saying, we just, you know, 2020, forget 2020, <laughs> next year's going to be great. And I don't think anyone really expected that, 2021 be would would just still continue on and, and get worse in, in lots of ways. Um, so it's been really hard. A lot of my peers, of people I know, people I work with, losing work and 
not being able to find work. And we're, gonna, we're losing, you know, we are losing people. I know, uh, you know, people have, think about it, crew people, they've, they've always got more skills than, say, us singer-songwriters because, you know, <laughs> we're, sort of, we're sort of like that's the only thing we can do. So um, I've been, you know, one of the lucky ones in that I, I, I'm a writer. I'm, I was a writer before I became, you know, I'm a writer first. Singing is what I do because I write songs. So I can always write at home. I've got guitar and piano. And also fortunate this year in that I, I, we actually got five weeks on the road. Yeah. Um, What's your favourite thing about being on the road? You know, we, as non-musicians, have this romanticised view of, you know, you guys cruising around in vehicles and strumming guitars and having a beer and walking out and people idolising you. Is it, like, what, what's your favourite? Is it like that? What's your favourite part of it? I, well, in some ways, it's it's the it's the camaraderie. It's just you know we went out. I usually go out on tour with my band, which it's um, five or six of us, depending on depending on who's around. And then also, Vicar and Linda have been very very regular singing with us. And the people I've been playing with a long, long time. Also, my nephew Dan Kelly's in the band quite often. I, I like to say they're a low maintenance band. You know, uh, there's. <laughs> There's some people you meet uh, around the place who, who you might call high maintenance, and yes. uh, you don't want them in your band. So <laughs> this is uh, uh, there's people that could just because there's there's always something that's going to go wrong, you know. So, you know, sound checks, things sounding terrible at sound checks, or your car breaks down, or the the bus breaks down, or uh, she's just going to be able to not get upset when little things go wrong. But um, I think. It's a camaraderie that the, the, the before the show, when we get together before the show and just, you know, um, getting ready but also we're, we're laughing, joking around, we'll sing a couple of songs. And that, and also, uh, you know, after the show, when you've done the show and, you know, it's that great feeling of, you know, two hours of, uh, you know, hard work but fun work. And um, it's that first beer. Uh, the first beer after hard work is one of my favourite things because, you know, <laughs> I don't drink beer on stage or I don't drink it beforehand. I don't drink much beer in uh, daily life. But uh, if I, you know, I just like coming off stage and and drinking, you know, having that first beer, it's really good. And um, I love all the the people I play with and we have a fantastic crew. So it's the camaraderie. And, you know, speaking of, of lockdown, that was the thing I missed the most about not been able to do gigs. I mean, sure, I missed the audiences and not been able to play to audiences, but I think what I missed even more was just not being able to get together with my friends and play music. You know, for a long time there and at the moment now, we can't even go and rehearse. Mm. We can't go and record. We can't even see each other because, you know, I'm on the south side and most of them are in the, on the north side. So it's... You know, unless we want to, I you know want to meet. Uh, I've got a, a little meeting place. Uh, uh, the five for my five k in St Kilda to say my children, for instance, who are in Northcote. Yep. The only place we can meet outside is the MCG, the surrounds of the MCG. How apt! So, so they, they've got five. <laughs> they got four point nine one way, and you got four point nine the other. And there sits the mighty MCG. I know. So <laughs> could be worse. So um, you know, I've been meeting meeting my my son there and. Uh, you know, for walks and his grandkids. and As I said, I'm thrilled you're on and I, there's a million questions I could ask you and I actually, I rarely think too much about it, Paul. I just sort of dive in. But 
I had a general idea in my head that we'd sort of mix sport and music, two wonderful things, uh, through a few of your songs and just sort of see where we end up. But you, you, you very kindly agreed to let me play the entirety of your new song here on the podcast, Every Step of the Way, which is about Eddie Betts. Um, before I go any further, how do you feel when people come up to you? Is it a positive when people come up to you or do you get over it and they say, oh, Paul, this song means this to me that you wrote and it takes me back to this time in my life or this relationship? How is that for you? Uh, that's always appreciated. I mean, you know, people come up and say, oh, um, you know, how do you know my story? That's a, that's a common one. So, <laughs> or, I, you know, I really like this song or, or like your music and that's, yeah, most, pe- you know, most, most people are fine. It's just it's all nice to be acknowledged and, and to know that um, your songs, songs are having effect and that, and that they're part of people's lives. So I, I don't mind that at all. And it's not like it happens so much that it disrupts, you know, I, I, can, I can go, go places. Well, it's going to happen right now because, as I said, your new song, which I'm thrilled that you're putting out here on the Howie Games and people can hear it probably for the first time every step of the way about Eddie Betts. So uh, Daryl sent it through to me from the recording Mm -hmm. um, company and he said, just have a listen before you chat to Paul. And my two home kids were in homeschooling at the time, so they're in a separate room. And my wife, who is an enormous Carlton fan, I uh, was in the room and I said, oh, this is a, we're pretty lucky here. We're going to be able to hear Paul's new song before it comes out. And and the first couple of bars of music started and both, I, I, without a word of a lie, both my kids came out and they're like, oh, Dad, what's that? What's that? And my, my uh, 11-year-old described it as uh, <laughs> haunting. My nine-year-old, nine-year-old described it as cool. So you've got both sides of the equation there. And my wife, who's, as I said, a Carlton fan, but a football fan, and we all love Eddie Betts in the house, actually had a tear in her eye, which surprised me. And we we all sat there and listened together. And it was just a bit of um, reflection time in lockdown. And it it really moved us all. I don't want to get too carried away or, or, or embarrass you, but it really moved us all. It's a, it's a beautiful, haunting song, Paul, from, from where we sit. Who, who are your listeners, I guess? Oh, thank you. Look, haunting and cool, I'll, I'll take that. I think that your kids probably could uh, look, look, got a good future as uh, music critics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haunting and cool, they've come up with, with two different varieties. But I, I, the, the obvious question, and I want to explore with you where these things come from, whether they're from your guts or your, your head or your heart, but, but tell me the story of this song and how it came to you. Um, well, just to start off, I am like a lot of lot of people, and you and your wife. I'm a big, big fan of Eddie Betts, and um, <laughs> of course, I broke uh, for my sins. I broke for the Crows, so <laughs> had a, a lot of lot of time watching with the Crows as well. And I like, uh, you know, the footy show AFL 360 is one of the regular footy shows that I watch. And uh, he, Eddie Betts was on there last year. I think yes. about June, June last year, and. Um, Jared and Robbo were, were talking to him about um, the recent. He'd, he'd spoken up recently about some abuse he'd received online, and Robbo was doing most of the questioning in this inimitable way. And uh, Eddie got, you know, Eddie started talking, and then he just, you could see that he was get. It, it was a real. It was painful for him to talk about. You know, I have to deal with it again. The stress, the it's just tiring, just fighting, 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 and it just keeps happening every year. 
the last 10 years and uh, the last six years over in Adelaide, I've been racially abused every year online. I had banana thrown at me. And you can see he was very emotional and he's, he's quite pained, but he was, I, I just thought his courage was immense that he was talking about it. And I, I knew it wasn't the first time. This everyday racism that he experiences and, you know, he gets it on the field and he's getting it online. And he, he said in that interview at least three times, if I recall, he said, I'm sick and tired. Uh, you know, I want to keep educating people, but it's 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 really hard. I'm sick and tired of it. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm getting really sick and tired of that because it, it just strains you. And, and, and you. and you kind of think, why am I playing footy, you know? And he also, I remember him saying towards the end about how he had to have put on this a barrier, like put on this, like a shield or a barrier when he walks out the house each day that, you know, just sort of, sort of, I guess, to to arm himself against the inevitable comments. Mm. I've got to set up barriers every day when I leave the house. I I'm think I'm going to get racially abused when, I, when I'm driving or when I, when I go to a supermarket. You know, all I want to do is just rock up to training, play, have, uh, enjoy the game of footy, but... But before then, I've got to set up barriers for myself because I get racially abused. Even driving the car, you know, and just waiting, you know, this, it, it happens all the time. Someone's going to uh, make a nasty remark. And you can't catch them. You can't call them out. And, you know, it'll happen next week again. And, and I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, but that, that's who he said sick and tired several times. And, and um, that's, so that was the start of the song. Which is the you know first first line of the chorus. I'm I'm so sick and tired of keeping it all inside. Tonight I went out from the kitchen, looked up at the stars from the yard. I was hoping to get some perspective. Sometimes perspective is hard I know my life is a blessing And all blessings come with a curse My enemies I know I can handle But friends now, well, they can be worse Oh, I'm so sick and tired of keeping it inside. I'm so sick and tired today. I remember the old ones are traveling. They're with me every step of the way. Thousands smile when I go through my paces They fall at my dancing feet They like to slap my back in high places They want to shake my hand on the street Clamber and climb all over me. I close my eyes and I'm dreaming. 
of a world where they can just be. Oh, I'm so sick and tired of keeping it all inside. I'm so sick and tired today. I remember the old ones are traveling. They're with me every step of the way. The old ones are walking beside me. Each and every step of the way. I wrote the song and uh, just trying to say, uh, I want to make the point that. I don't decide to write these songs. I don't decide to write a song. I don't decide to sit down and say, I'm going to write a song about Eddie Betts. I, I saw that show tonight and I'm going to write a song about Eddie Betts. It doesn't happen like that. It's more like um, you, you, you start hearing a voice uh, and then the voice won't let you go. So you've got to just honour that voice and follow it. And then so I followed the voice and wrote the song. And, of course, the song's in the first person. So it's it's in... Eddie's voice or, you know, my imagination of Eddie's voice. So this is what, you know, fiction fiction writers do and I'm a songwriter, I write fiction. Um, so I had this imagined voice of Eddie and I thought, oh, you know, I didn't know what to do with it. I just sat with it for a while and then um, we were going to record last year but we, we didn't because uh, of lockdown. And then this year we went into the studio March, April and we were doing doing a Christmas record. But we also did some other songs as well um, when we finished the Christmas songs and I, I put that one down and, uh, and so we had it. Um, and we just had it, you know, not quite finished. We had a sort of a synthesised cello sound on it and uh, not mixed or anything. And then uh, Eddie came on 360 again, like in very recently, a few weeks yeah, ago. it was. And it was just like, oh, here we go again. So it's, nothing's changed. Or, in fact, that even got worse, you know, with, with the recent uh, goings on at Adelaide. It's been hard, to be honest, Jared. It, uh, um, it's been really tough to deal with, you know, especially when it comes to racism. Um, I've been dealing with this my whole life. My mother has, my father has. And it's tiring. Um, you know, it, it hurts. It's draining. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it actually really hurts, to be honest. I, I'm starting to get emotional. Um, then I thought, uh, maybe I'll just contact Eddie about this song, send it to him, see what he thinks and, and see what he thinks about releasing it. I, I'm very conscious of, uh, I don't want to tell other people's stories. Uh, when it's, yeah, when you're telling true stories about people, you, um, you, uh, I just thought I should check, check with Eddie, see what he thinks about it. Um, and whether, you know, he would mind if we release it at some stage. And, you know, I tracked down his phone number. And, and as you'd expect, he, I got a beautiful, gracious, generous response and he said he really liked the song and he, he was honoured. And he, and he said, oh, I want to play it in the car with my kids when I go and play my last game. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and he said, but, you know, and that was, that was the first I heard, first I knew he was playing his last game, but... So I thought, well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a big compliment from Eddie. So we've just been in touch about the song coming out and 
I wanted it to come out with his blessing. Uh, he's given it, so off we go. Well, it's haunting and it's cool, according to your first two critics, so <laughs> I, I think you're going pretty well. Um, I'd love to chat with you later on as we go through about what you do when this voice is in your head that won't leave you alone till you, till you get it out on paper. But reading a little bit about you, Paul, tell me about growing up in South Australia in in a big family and the importance of sport and music. Were they separate? Did they mix? Was It It sounded like it was a very musical household, but it sounded like, and talking to a few people, you're about the, someone described you as the most competitive prick I've ever met that, that had been involved in sport with you. Um, I'll take that as a positive in Australian vernacular. But there was obviously, a, that's what was filling the house. Uh, yeah, well, there's eight of us kids and we, we played a lot of sport, most of us, and music was a big part of the house too because mum played music and sung and played piano and uh, ABC Radio was always on and a lot of classical music then we heard in the house, also class- classical records. So it was, uh, yeah, it was always, I never really thought they were, you know, a lot different for each other or two different worlds. Of course mm-hmm. they're two they're two different things, but I never thought of them as being like, oh, if you if you really like writing and music and art, you can't like sport. That was never sort of that's the uh, attitude in our family. Also, when I first moved to Melbourne in 1977, that's that's what what struck me. It's like everyone in Melbourne, everyone in bands, everyone in they're, they're, most of them are like mad about AFL football. Yes, so, yes. Uh, you know, Tex Perkins and Tim Rogers and. Ash Naylor and my band and Peter Luscombe, you know, our, our drummer for your backs for Collingwood and well, I've got two Collingwood barrackers in, in the band. Um, it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, a bit unfortunate, but what can you do? <laughs> um, it was, that, was, that was really, that did stri- strike me, Melbourne in particular is a city where there, there was not this sort of idea that um, if you're into one thing, you can't be into the other. It was very, very much integrated. So that's how I grew up at home and that's, you know, felt very home in Melbourne for for that reason. Back to Paul shortly. Next up on the Artist Series, a fella who I had an absolute blast chatting with. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. His name is Daniel McPherson. Now, Dan was a triathlete who somehow, as he explains it, ended up on Neighbours, then worked his guts out to improve his craft. Not that it was always an easy journey. I had a bit of a state of the union with my manager in America when things weren't going as I'd hoped. But it's, I'd been, it took me three years probably to get my first American job, uh, maybe longer, three and a half years to get my first American TV, TV and, gig. And in that period, how many gigs would you try it out for? Um, so he turned around and said, well, look, I'm pulling up, I'm, I'm holding up my end of the bargain. I've sent you for something like 137 auditions over the car, over the past three years. Wow. And I was like, okay, yep. And so it was actually Russell Crowe that said the hardest job that he ever had to get was his first job in America and it took him 18 months to get his first. How do you find out that you, and I say this respectfully, how do you find out that in the eyes of the people that are casting it that you failed yet again? How do you, how do you get the word? Mm. Um, so... The, the American terminology is it's not moving forward. This one, this one they, they loved you, it's not moving forward this time. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. That's we'll what it sounds you. like. So okay. I had a lot of this one isn't moving forward. Okay, right. cool. And that's, that's the highs and lows and that's what some people thrive on and I'm thankfully one of those people. 
and some people can't stand and that's why they pack up and leave LA. That's Dan McPherson up next Tuesday on the Howie Games Artist Series. Let's get back to Paul. So the, the sport side of things, before we talk about songs you've written, I want to talk about cricket first because I read that uh, Ross Trevor College, very famous school where you went, where I think Johnny Aloisi went, who put us into the World Cup, uh, Luke Darcy, Western Bulldogs man who I work yeah, with, went, went there as well. It says a first 11 captain. True story that you were captain of the cricket team? Well, I wasn't captain. I think when I wrote uh, my memoir in 2010. Yeah. Right, you just made it up. I think I made it up. I think. <laughs> um, okay, so don't worry about captain then. So, but you were in the you, you you were in the first eleven team. I take it. Now I no, want to know the first eleven. Yeah, what you I realised afterwards that I, I made a mistake. That no, I wasn't captain. I wasn't well, did you bat? Did you bowl? I want to hear about your cricket prowess first. It's obviously close to my heart. Opening bat. Opening uh, bat. Yeah, mainly my best shot was sort of the glide through slips or the, the snick through slips. Um, so you're from, a behind square man on the wagon wheel. You, yeah. You're scoring behind square. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, back, back foot player. Um, okay. Can never really time my drives very well. So, But a good cutter, good cutter of the ball, if I say so myself. Yep. And uh, I could, you know, get behind the ball. So opening batsman. And leg spinner. So definitely consider myself an all-rounder. Very, I had big spin, so that that was good, but I was, I never really got very good control. So I was. Did you have the varieties? Did you have the wrong one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Righto. I still now, if I bowl now, I still often bowl wrong ones without meaning to. So that's. Haven't quite got control of that. When was the last (laughs) time you rolled the arm over? Uh, We have a, you know, we have a, there's a group of guys that I actually kicked the footy with in, yep. you know, for most of the year round that we've been doing that for a, a long time, about 25 years, and we just sort of do circle work, kicking the footy, so we don't no, – non-contact. But uh, in the summer months, uh, there's a smaller sort of um, offshoot that does uh, – you know, has cricket in the nets. We have, you know, a couple of sessions a week uh, just playing in the nets. And then at the end of the – in February, <laughs> at the end of it, we have a game. Right. So I was I was doing that for quite a while, but I've recently retired from cricket. I'm right. just I'm just it's a bit too risky for me now. My okay. eye, my eyes aren't the the greatest. Picking up a, a fast, short, rearing bouncer to the head, <laughs> and you know some some of these guys in the nets they don't. You know, they try to, you know, once you they get the old two piece red king out, and they start trying to give you some chin music. So. And also, yeah, and just fingers. More, more danger of hurting my fingers playing yes. cricket than playing non-contact footy where you're, not, you. you're not trying to go for a mark or anything. So who was your um, – who was your – did you cast your mind back? Who was your cricket hero? Who, who did you want to be when you were out there playing cricket? Uh, oh, who would have been my first one? Um, uh, Terry Jenner. Terry Jenner, a leg spinner from East South Australian, wasn't he? Yeah, so okay. that's um, Ian Chappell. Ian Chappell, I saw Ian Chappell's first test and he was he was an all-rounder then. He, he bowled le- leg spin. Huh. I saw him take a great catch and slips. It's still sort of imprinted in, in my memory. Um, and Richie Benno. I just loved Richie Benno. Um, don't think I ever got to see him play live, but, I, you know, I remember listening listening on the radio to him, especially because I just still remember listening to the the um, the test where um, Mekhef got called up oh, in, for Br- in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, more recently, I, I did write. I love Alan Border. What I found interesting about Alan Border was that he was 
one of those few champions that seemed, um, I'm trying to articulate this, he's not like a Viv Richards or he never, he always had that great awareness that he could get out or something. But, I mean, he was just, he, very, very talented, of course, and also can, could score fast, but he also had this thing about fighting not to get out. So there was just something different about his, his, uh, the qualities that he had of a champion. He, he had that slightly, he was a champion that really scrapped, I guess. Just on that, and I'm about to play your question, so don't name another cricketer for me. He, Alan Border was my first cricket hero, my first sporting hero. And Paul, when I am fortunate enough to sit next to him in a commentary box, I sit there thinking, wow, this is the bloke I had the scrapbook of. And, you know, I had the full scrapbook and now I'm sitting beside him at a test match. I find it quite extraordinary. And he's, I'm sure you've met Alan, he is the most humble, warm, friendly, opposite to how he was perceived as Captain Grumpy when he was captain. Yeah. Fairly I've ever met. Now, frequent listeners to this show and, and, uh, uh, you, you did tell me at the start that you'd listen to a few of the episodes, which I'm really appreciative of. You you now get a question from one of my children, and it's related to what we're talking about. You get my nine-year-old, whose name is Mac, Paul. Yeah. But he operates as the big penguin. He's had a gut full of homeschooling. So when I said, can uh, you ask a question for Paul, he was all over it. So are you ready, Paul? I'm ready, Mac. Hey, Paul, big penguin. First off, I love your new song for every step of the way. My dad played it to me in remote learning. It was beautiful, even though dad's not that great at guitar. Oh. Anyway, mm. <laughs> I heard that you like cricket. <laughs> I love cricket. My favourite T20 player is Stoinis. My favourite one-day player is Finchie. And my favourite test match player is Smitty. What is Smitty. your favourite cricket player or cricket players? So we've sort of started wandering down that path of who your favourite cricket players are, so I thought uh, that's what he wanted to know, who your favourite cricketers are, after he listed his lot. Um, I'm sorry, Mac, I, I don't watch T20, so I, I don't really know, know those players very well. Um, and I'm not a, I don't watch much one-day cricket either. I really like the World Cup, so I'm a sort mm-hmm. of a, a, a one-day cricketer every four years. Yes. For me, it's, it's test cricket. That's just what I grew up with and... And Shield cricket, you know, I used to go and watch a fair bit of Shield cricket in um, in Adelaide. Les Favell, uh, <laughs> Les Favell was a favourite of mine, you know, an adventurous captain and an adventurous batsman. I think he made just played a few tests, but not many. So I can only really speak about test cricket, you know, currently. Ah, oh, La Bouchon, da, da 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 La Bouchon. Every time he comes out to bat, I start singing that melody. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's a Labashan song in you, is there? I like it. I'd love to hear the um, verse of that. <laughs> no, it's a Wayne Newton song, is it? Yeah. Dunkish, Dunkishan, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's that's a melody in my head every time he comes out to bat. I really like him, just the way the way it goes about it. Mm. Who doesn't love Pat Cummings? Who doesn't yeah. love yeah. Pat Cummings? Everybody, yeah. man, women, yeah. child, dog, doesn't matter. Everyone loves Pat Cummings. Yeah. So I'll, I'll pick those two out for, for now. Yeah. All right. Let's talk, if, you, if you'll indulge me, in, in a couple of your cricket songs, mm-hmm. if that's okay with you. Of course. Um, a couple of very different operators, Bradman and Warren. You've written songs about both. The Bradman song. 
why was that was that a song that you, you as you described it so eloquently that I can't that there's a song there and it has to be written down how, how did that song come to pass it was a long time ago so um, yeah. I think I wrote it uh, around 84 85 I know I know I know it came after reading a book by Irving Rosenwater, do you know the, yes, the author? Yes, yes, famous, a, yeah. famous author. He wrote, wrote a book on Bradman, which I read. He's also a statistician. Mm. So I read that. Uh, I got quite a few cricket books and, um, you know, people know I like, you know, sports writing and so on, so they, I, I get given books too. And, but I, I, I came across that Irving Rosenwater biography of Bradman in the mid-'80s and it was not long after I wrote, read it, uh, I, I wrote the song. So, yeah, well, again, it was one that sort of just started. Once it started, it was sort of, uh, um, I'm running a song about Bradman. So it, it sort of, again, it wasn't planned, but it, it really came out of reading that book. Sydney 9 and 26. This is the story of a man. Just a kid in from the sticks. Of course, I was very familiar with Rabban before that, growing up in Adelaide. He knew my dad. Um, not very. I mean, I think they were more professional acquaintances. Um, in, in what sphere? Um, being on the like, dad. My dad was a lawyer, and um, Sir Donald was a stockbroker in, in okay. Adelaide at that time. So they were on a <laughs> on a board of some, maybe on the board of some company, or they they met wow. in in professional circles. And he also lived in Kensington Park and we lived in Kensington Gardens. So he lived just a, a mile down the road. So, um, and evidently I rode in a car with Donald Bradman once when I was about five years old. But, Did uh, you? That's uh, something to tell the grandkids about, Paul. <laughs> but I don't remember it. <laughs> no, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and he was a big, you know, I, I sort of was pretty interested in, in stats and stuff, I guess, following sport and... Um, yeah, he's just someone like Bradman who was so for not so far above the norm in terms of um, his batting average and and the things that he did was always a figure of fascination to me. And also, the more I learned about him, that he was also an outsider. He wasn't, I guess, your normal jock or one of the boys. And um, he played the piano. He wrote songs. Yeah, uh, he liked to, you know, go to his. You know, just spent time on, on his own in his room on tour and wasn't big with sort of having lots and lots of beers and all, all that stuff. I know, you know, there's also there was risk, risk between him and some of the team, including uh, Riley, Jack Fingleton. And, and you talk about that in the song. The, uh, I don't have the exact line. You could tell me about he's a uh, the critics and about the nonchalant phenomenon and... Uh, you, you can tell me the line if you can recall it about, you know, even friends need something to... Yeah, that was just a refer- reference to that criticism. Yeah. The critics could not comprehend this nonchalant phenomenon. Well, well, this man is a machine, they said. Even his friends say he isn't human. Even friends have to cut something. There was also, um, you know, the cricket writing of the time that... that that he was not, you know, so much a stylist or, you know, someone like Neville Cardis would uh, yep. would uh, pick others as better stylists. And, yeah, that's quite a good point. But uh, he was, you know, just, he was efficient and brutal. Well, the, yeah. the, your your description of, of 
And as I said, I, I'm glad that you see there's a positive when people say, you know, certain songs or certain lines. The, the, the verse and then the, the, the chorus, he was more than just a batsman. The, for me, th- this next line is one that is so efficient in the description of what he was. He was something like a tide. Now, I, I live by the beach. You, obviously, you can't stop the tide. You can't stop it coming in. And I, and I can only presume reading that that is your description of Bradman, that he was unstoppable like the tide. There's more than just a batsman. There's something like a tide. I love that description, Paul. I love it. I love everything about that description. Oh, that's, that's good. I always sort of worried about that line. I thought that's a bit, bit you know, is that right? Is that, that sounds a bit weak. It's perfect. I'm really because, glad that you like it. But, well, it's perfect because he was unstoppable and you can't sit there and stop the tide coming in. Eventually it's going to come in. Eventually Bradman's going to score runs against you. That, that's clear as day to me when you write it like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. I also, I think the other tidal element was, uh, apart from you know, just his sheer weight of runs and on the field, was that the effect, this cultural effect yes. at that time in the you know, 1930, especially that, that magical year he had in 1930 in England and how it was such a big deal back here in Australia. It was, you know, sticking up to the palms, but it was like this homegrown hero, boy from the bush. It had all, all, the, all those elements of the cultural myths that, that we love. And there was, he transcended sport, obviously. You know, he, he just, so there was that, that, that element of being tidal, just, just sort of washing through the culture. What, what's your line where you talk about, I, I hope you don't mind me, me indulging you like this, but what, the line where you talk about, can, can you please tell me because I'll get it wrong, about uh, fathers taking their sons? Uh, fathers took their sons because fortune used to hide in the palm of his hands. Yes. Fathers took their sons because fortune used to hide in the palm of his hands. And fathers took their sons who never lost the sound of the roar of the grandstand. Yeah. 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 Wow. His feet, they used to sparkle and he always kept them on the ground. Fathers took their sons who never lost the sound. Of the roar of the grandstand. I forgot to also say that um, my father, as a child, saw uh, and his brother went saw the body line test. So they saw that the famous in Adelaide. Adelaide test in 1932, 33. So, that would have so been Jan- old, January. Was that Oldfield? Adelaide? When Oldfield went down, yeah. State Adelaide boils over, as you say. Yeah, right, so talk to me. Talk to me, Paul. I'll that, shut up. That, that's in the song. But, yeah, then that's when um, Bill Woodfield came out and said, you know, there's two sides out there today and only one's playing cricket. And then, you know, this, after that the, they nearly pulled the plug in the series. So that was yep. cables going back and forth between the uh, governments of England and Australia or the, maybe just the governing cricket, cricketing bodies. I, I can't remember. Percy Warner. Yeah. So did he? Do you know if he heard the song? Um, obviously, was it played to him at some? She's a seven and a half minute. It, it, it's a it's a cracker. Does has he heard the song when he was alive? Do you know? So I did send. I sent the song to him, and as you might expect, with Don Bradman, who famously answered every letter that was written to him, mm. I got a reply, and I just sent him the song, and I did. I wrote the song, and uh, at the end, I said, "You may remember my father, John Kelly." And he wrote back a, a short 
letter. Quite dry. Quite dry. <laughs> so they haven't, he didn't, he didn't, they haven't heard the song yet. I have to go and play it on my sister-in-law's record player or something. Maybe. Okay. But I, and I said, I appreciate your efforts. <laughs> right. Did you keep the letter? I know it's in somewhere, but uh, obviously I would have tried to keep the letter, but I've moved around a lot, so yes. some things have got lost. But I hope, I hope that's there somewhere. No, I sent him the song, so he had heard the song on record. This is back then, it was like I would have sent him a. This is 80, 86. 86. 86. 86. single, maybe. Okay. Uh, and uh, well, we sent him the video. So Jack Jack Egan did the video, which was great. My kind of video because it was just we didn't I didn't have to you know sing or mime or anything. We just had archival footage of mm. uh, Bradman, which is great. It's a really nice video. Oh, that that stuff of where he's showing you. I think it's reasonably near the start where he's just sort of showing you his grip and he, he's got the gloves on that that are strapped around and there's nothing on the inside of them. I was watching it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> so I sent him the video as well, and that's what he said because he said, yeah. so he heard the song, obviously he did have a stereo, but he said, no, uh, I don't have a video player, so I need to go and watch it, the video somewhere else. But, <laughs> but um, they said, thank you for your efforts. I thought, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> that is rather dry, yeah. as you, as you but described then, But then it. he said, I also re- you know, I remember, I remember your father, John. Oh, so, okay. Oh, that's yeah. a nice touch. It was, it was a nice letter. Please find that letter, Paul. Please find that letter and put that letter somewhere safe. I better. That is the end of Paul Kelly Part A. Plenty more gravy to be made. Sorry about that. In Part B. Listener.